Guys, it's so great to be uh, with you here tonight. Uh, my name's Nick Van Ruth. I'm the Young Adults Pastor here at Hills Baptist. Uh, and um, yeah, I love worshipping with you and uh, singing. And what a great song, um, Keith Green's Creating Me a Clean Heart. Taken, the words taken from Psalm 51. Uh, if, you know, if the screen didn't work, that's all right. We'll just look it up in the Bible. Uh, but a great, great song, um, asking God to cleanse us. Um, we're continuing in our series in 2 Peter. Uh, we're looking um, through this letter that Peter wrote to scattered Christians around the Asia area um, around about well, in the first century after Jesus uh, came, died, rose again, went to heaven. And uh, what he's writing about is how to live in the last days. Jesus has, has he's risen from the dead. He's ascended into heaven. He's coming back. And Peter writes this letter to remind uh, these Christians scattered around the Asia area, kind of modern-day Turkey, how do we live in light of the last days, that Jesus is coming back soon? Last week, we looked at uh, we need to confirm our calling, that, um, uh, the, our calling that not that we need to live up to something or we need to fulfill our calling to do great things for God, but actually realizing that God's called us into his family and confirming that uh, by centering ourselves on Jesus and what he's done for us. And then working that out in, in the way we live, growing uh, in, in knowledge, in uh, perseverance, in love. Next, not next week, we're doing something um, very special next week. Um, the week after that, uh, we're looking at 2 Peter 3, which is all about remember. Remember that Jesus is coming back and, and what's, what's the implications of that. But today, we're talking about false teachers. Uh, what a fun topic. Uh, Mark um, Sanders uh, preached this morning a cracker sermon. Uh, you should have gone this morning. Um, he had a free hit, right? So, he, you know, there are services in between uh, series, and Mark got to preach on what was on his heart, and it was a great sermon about the topic was Toto. I don't think we're in Kansas anymore. Uh, you'll have to listen to it to figure what that means. <laughs> it was very good. And I was thinking during the week, if I, you know, and I do get free hits every now and again, uh, you know, get to preach on, on what's uh, on my heart. And if I, if I were to choose what I preach on, I wouldn't choose to preach on false teachers. I don't think anyone uh, in there would choose to preach um, on false teaching uh, or, or false teachers. And but something, I thought of something during the week that, that changed my perspective on this quite profoundly. Right? We might not, as, as leaders and teachers, we might try and avoid uh, tricky topics like this. But Peter wrote to these Christians, and he, he dedicates a third of his letter to warn them about false teachers. And as we're traveling through this letter, and I was, as I thought about that, I, I became quite convinced that this is what we need to hear. We need to talk about false teachers. We need to talk about teachers who come and bring uh, teaching that is not true, that's deceiving uh, the church, that's pulling people away from Jesus. We need to talk about that. And we need to, we need to beware and um, watch out for false teachers. Uh, so, so that's what we're going to look at. We're going to look at 2 Peter chapter 2. Uh, it'll be on the screen soon, but if you've got a Bible, open it up. Uh, particularly for talking about false teaching, it'd be good to go to the truth and, and have that in front of you. Because, you know, don't trust me. Uh, and what Peter uh, kind of unpacks, he talks about um, uh, the destiny of false teachers, and then he talks about what they're like and how they operate. And so we're going to track through and talk about those things. And then we're going to think about what about us and, and now? What do we do now? So why don't you open up to 2 Peter chapter 2. Here's mine uh, bookmarked already. And we'll read this together. And it'll also be on the screen. But there are also false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. They will, they will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord who brought them, bought them, bringing swift destruction on themselves. Many will follow their depraved conduct and will bring the way of truth into disrepute. 
In their greed, these teachers will exploit you with fabricated stories. Their condemnation has long been hanging over them, and their destruction has not been sleeping. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but sent them into hell, putting them in the chains of darkness to be held for judgment, if he did not spare the ancient world when he brought the flood on its ungodly people, but protected Noah, a preacher of righteousness, and seven others, if he condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah by burning them to ashes and made them as an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly, and if he rescued Lot, a righteous man who was distressed uh, by the depraved conduct of the lawless, for that righteous man living among them day after day was tormented in his righteous soul by the lawless deeds he saw and heard. If this is so, then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to hold the unrighteous for punishment on the day of judgment. This is especially true of those who follow the corrupt desire of the flesh and despise authority. Bold and arrogant, they are not afraid to heap abuse on celestial beings. Yet even angels, although they are stronger and more powerful, they do not heap abuse on such beings when bringing judgment on them from the Lord. But these people blaspheme in matters they do not understand. They are like unreasoning animals, create creatures of instinct, born only to be caught and destroyed. And like animals, they too will perish. They will be paid back with harm for the harm they have done. Their idea of pleasure is to carouse in broad daylight. There are blots and blemishes reveling in their pleasures while they feast with you. With eyes full of adultery, they never stop sinning. They seduce the unstable. They, they are experts in greed and a cursed brood. They have left the straight way and wandered off to the way of Balaam, son of Bezar, who loved the wages of wickedness. But he was rebuked for his wrongdoing by a donkey, an animal without speech, who spoke with, human, with a human voice and restrained the prophet's madness. These people are springs without water, and mist driven by a storm. Blackest darkness is reserved for them. For they mouth empty, boastful words, and by appealing to the lustful desires of the flesh, they entice people who are just escaping from those who live in error. They promise them freedom, while they themselves are slaves to depravity. For people are slaves to whatever has mastered them. If they have escaped the corruption of the world by knowing our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and are again entangled in it and are overcome, they are worse off at the end than they were at the beginning. It would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than to have known it and then to turn their backs on the sacred command that is passed on to them. Of them, the Proverbs are true. A dog returns to its vomit, and a soul that is washed returns to her wallowing in the mud. So there you go. A nice, easy passage for us to travel through tonight. Um, we're going to kick off not there, but actually a little bit earlier in, uh, in 2 Peter 1. Because uh, how last week, the last chapter finishes off uh, after encouraging uh, the, the, these scattered Christians to confirm their calling to, to, to look uh, at Christ. Uh, they, were, they remind them their, um, what's called their apostolic authority, the fact that they were actually eyewitnesses of Jesus. They reminded uh, the Christians they were writing to that Peter was actually an eyewitness to the transfiguration, the time when Jesus uh, was ascended a hill and was transformed and transfigured and uh, kind of took on the full glory of God and shone. And, uh, and beyond that, he was a witness to his death and resurrection and ascension. And so, so their teaching was good. And then he reminds not only that, we also have the prophetic word. We have prophets of old who spoke uh, not not just what they thought or what they thought was best. It wasn't uh, self-help or pop psychology. It was the very words of God. They had good prophets. And here in 2 verse 1, he says, but there are also false prophets and there's false teachers. Can you see that pattern? Rely on the teaching of good teachers, good prophets, but beware the false prophets and the false 
teachers. And of, of all the things of Peter to, to say and emphasize about false teachers, uh, there's, there's one major overarching theme uh, of this chapter is that the destiny of false teachers is destruction. Their destiny is destruction. He says it right from the start. There was false prophets among the people, just as there will be false people, false teachers among you. You know, he says what they do. They secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord who bought them, bringing swift destruction on themselves. He's very clear. These teachers who come in and and try to draw Christians away from the Savior who saved them, denying his power, or saying that, you know what, it doesn't really matter. There's no destruction. Jesus isn't coming back. There's nothing to worry about. These people who draw people away from Jesus, draw people away from the truth, their destiny is destruction, the destruction they deny. And Peter uses three uh, stories or three uh, arguments from the Old Testament and from uh, Christian thought or his Jewish thought to emphasize this point, to make his argument. And this is where some of the uh, tricky and confusing things come in. He says, uh, for if God did not spare the angels when they sinned, but sent them to hell, right? God, there's, in, in, in the Bible, it talks about angels, God's messengers, his servants, people who he created to serve uh, his people and himself. When angels sinned or rejected God and, and refused to do his will and actually turned away from him uh, and led others in that, God judged them. He sent them to hell and reserved them for judgment. Even angels, God punishes. So why would false teachers say that they're safe from punishment? Peter continues, he didn't spare the ancient world when he brought the flood on its ungodly people. There's a story in Genesis of the world becoming so corrupt, so depraved, so broken and, and complete, completely devoid of God that God wanted to get rid of it. And there was one family that, that followed God, that trusted in him, that believed and, and lived uh, how God would have his people, his creation live. And that was Noah and his family. And so God, God sent a flood to judge and bring judgment on the world and, and he saved Noah. And so even if, if God did that, if he judged the ancient world, why would teachers, false teachers, believe that they'd be exempt from God's judgment? And he has another example as well, Sodom and Gomorrah. Uh, if he condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah by burning them to ashes. Again, in Genesis, uh, the story of um, Lot, Abraham's uh, relative who went and lived in Sodom and Gomorrah, and this, these two, two cities that were known for their corruption for, for their, their evil uh, attitudes and behavior, for how they treated other people. There's some really gruesome, uncomfortable stories that came that we read about in Sodom and Gomorrah. And so God uh, rescues Lot, the righteous man. He rescues him from Sodom and Gomorrah and destroys the cities for, uh, for their, their corruption, for, for being evil. And so if, if God would even destroy these cities, why would teachers think, think that they would be spared of God's judgment? There's the three arguments. Later on in verse uh, 12 and 13, um, Peter says, they will be paid back with harm for the harm that they've done. They're these teachers who lead God's people away from the truth. They will be judged. But he doesn't just judge those who are evil or those who lead people away from God or those who reject God or those who rebel against God. He preserves the righteous. Verse 9, if this is so, then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and hold the unrighteous for punishment on the day of judgment. Now this raises a really hard question. 
How could a loving God judge people? How could a loving God send people to a place like hell? How could a loving God punish the people he claims to love? That's a really hard question. Uh, and, I, and I'm not going to be able to give a full answer tonight. Sorry. <laughs> it's a question we've been, we've been struggling with in our small group in, in, like, as we've been doing alphas. It's this reoccurring question we're wrestling through uh, together as a group. Um, and uh, and well, we've got some good resources to share, but we're still struggling with it. It's a hard question. But I wonder if we're approaching it the right way. If all this uh, judgment and, and punishment, if we take that, uh, if we take that to, to show how harsh God is, is that the right, is that what the, the punishment and all this is meant to show us? That God is a really harsh, angry, judgmental God? Or is, is the severity of the punishment meant to show how serious our sin is? That the severity of, of punishment is that to show that when we rebel against the God who made us, that that's actually a really big deal. That's actually a, that's something we need to take seriously. The God who made us, who loves us, when we turn away from him, when we choose to live our own way, when we indulge our own desires instead of uh, following his way, that is a big issue. That's a big problem. And so it's not that God is harsh for judging us. He's just. It's what we deserve. And in fact, hell and this punishment is not so much a reflection of how harsh God is, but the fact that he saves people, that though we all deserve punishment and sin, our rebellion is a serious issue, the fact that he saves us shows how merciful he is, how loving he is, even to the point that he sent his own son to die to save us from that fate. Shows the love of God. And so the destiny of false teachers, people who pull people away from that truth, and say, don't worry about punishment, don't worry about hell, don't worry about judgment, don't worry about the way you live, it doesn't matter. People, the, their destiny is destruction. But the destiny of the faithful, those who trust in Jesus, trust in that truth, is redemption. The destiny of false teachers is destruction, but the destiny of the faithful is redemption. And so these false teachers, Peter goes on and, um, and thinks about, well, what are they like? These false teachers, as they come, and uh, what are they like? What, what, how do they interact? What do they do? What do they look like? What should we look out for? And he has this whole series of lists. So uh, from the second half of verse 10, bold and arrogant, they're not afraid to heap abuse on celestial beings. Yet even angels, though they are stronger and more powerful, do not heap abuse on such beings when bringing judgment on them from the Lord. Right? These false teachers, they're bold. They're confident. Even they're, they're bold enough to, to claim to be better than angels, better than celestial beings. Even though angels are, the, are um, you know, here it says that they, they are stronger and more powerful, but yet they wouldn't, uh, they wouldn't, um, they wouldn't admit it. Even angels wouldn't. But these false teachers claim to be better. They claim to be uh, bigger. They claim to be um, so much more than they are. They're confident. Uh, Peter goes on. These uh, from verse um, thirteen. They're they're blots and blemish. They're reveling in their pleasures when they while they feast with you. With eyes full of adultery, they never stop seeing. They seduce the unstable. Right there, these guys are excellent at deception. They revel in their, uh, in their pleasures and their um, desires, even when they're feasting with us, feasting with them. They're, they're 
are excellent at deceiving people. They seduce the unstable. They're, they're experts at creating uh, lies and, and a web of, of deception to snare people, to trap people, and they build it up and uh, present it in such an eloquent, um, tangible way. They're eloquent. He goes on to say they're uh, experts in greed. They're experts in greed. They're, they know how to get what they want. They know how to get what they want. They're experts in greed. They have eyes full of sin for adultery. They take advantage of the vulnerable for their own, uh, for their own desires, for their own um, ambitions and purposes. These false teachers, they're confident, they're eloquent, they're ambitious, they're capable. Isn't it interesting that those attributes are what we often look for in leaders? They're confident, they're eloquent, they're ambitious, they're capable. But what they teach is not true. And I think it's a, that's a challenge for us, for what do we look for in leaders? What do we look for in the people that we will listen to? What do we look for in the people that, that we allow influence over us? Is it those things or, or is there something more, something deeper we should be looking at? Peter talks about they, they wandered from the way of truth and they follow in the path of uh, Balaam, son of Bezer, or son of um, Basar. Uh, which is actually, so Bozar or Basar is actually a, a word, um, a word play on the Hebrew word for flesh, Basar. And Balaam is, uh, you can read about him in Numbers chapter 22 uh, through to 24. He's a, a, a prophet. He's a prophet for hire. Like wrap your head around that. He was a prophet for hire that the um, Midianites came and said, hey, can we... Uh, um, engage your services and can you go and curse the Israelite people? Can you go curse God's people? And he goes and uh, on his way to do that uh, there's an angel of the Lord that's standing in his path and he's riding his donkey. He can't see it but his donkey sees this angel who's got his sword up ready to strike him down and the donkey stops and Balaam, you know, is trying to get the donkey to go because he can't see this angel. But the, the donkey stops and then Balaam gets off the donkey, starts hitting the donkey. The donkey um, just lies down. And eventually, the donkey actually speaks out to Balaam with words. Why are you hitting me? And then, then Balaam sees the angel. And Peter's looking at us and he, he highlights the story that this animal without speech recognized that this prophet for hire was off to do uh, was off not to do God's bidding but to do man's bidding and this prophet for hire was speaking not God's words but man's words and his destiny this angel of the Lord standing in front of him he was going to strike him down his destiny was destruction. And so these, these false teachers who follow in the way of Balaam, they're following the way of claiming to speak from God, but they don't. They claim to speak from God, but they don't. And this is in contrast to the prophets of old. If you remember from 2 Peter 1, you know, they don't speak from their own words, but they speak the very words of God. But these false teachers, people who come parading, uh, who are confident, eloquent, ambitious, capable, claiming to speak from God, but they don't. There's a, a I'll, I'll talk about it a bit later, but there's a, um, a church father from the second century called Irenaeus, and he said this, error indeed is never set forth in its naked deformity, lest, being thus exposed, it should be at once detected. 
but is craftily decked out in an attractive dress so as by its outward form to make it appear to the inexperienced, ridiculous as the expression may seem, more true than truth itself. All right, if you didn't really get that, effectively he's saying false teaching is sexy. False teaching is sexy. It doesn't, no one, false teachers don't come and present itself as false teaching. Like today I'm going to tell you something that's not true. They don't come and present itself as something that would bring harm or draw people away from the truth. False teaching comes well-dressed. It comes eloquent, confident, ambitious, capable. And yet their destiny is destruction. Next, uh, Peter elaborates on how they operate. So how do they bring their this false teaching. Uh, And he says, these people are springs without water and mist driven by a storm. Imagine yourself in a a desert and uh, you've been walking around hiking for uh, who who knows how long, a couple of days, you're you're thirsty, you're desperate for water and and then on the horizon you see an oasis with a stream. And you think, oh my goodness, there is this life-giving water, like desperate for it. So you travel and you run and you get there. When you get there, the stream is empty. There's nothing there. That's the image of these false teachers. Their mouths are empty, boastful, boastful words. They, they, they claim to have substance, but when, when you get there, it's empty. Empty promises. Same as there are mists driven by a storm. I don't know if you've ever woken up. Certainly in the the hills, this happens quite often. You wake up and there's this beautiful mist. White mist that covers covers the the hills like a blanket. And it's soft and it's, it's, um, it's white and it's cool. But those who, who, who know is that the mist comes before a storm. It's actually because a storm's coming through. And so they may be uh, attractive and, and cool and, and nice and peaceful, but actually behind it is destruction. And that's the same as false teaching. It might seem nice, but actually on the other side of it is destruction. And Peter explains why. The, verse 18, for their mouths are empty, boast, so they, they mouth empty boastful words, and by appealing to the lustful desires of their fresh, the flesh, they entice people. They entice people who are just escaping from those who live in error. They promise them freedom while they themselves are slaves to depravity. For people are slaves to what are, whatever has mastered them. They claim to free people from, from the shackles of religion or the, you know, don't worry about following Jesus or all these rules or whatever. Come and come back into this corrupt world where you can do what you want and you can say what you want, you can think what you want, you can, you can just be yourself, be true to yourself. But the reality, they claim to share freedom, but the reality is they're enslaved by their own passions and pleasures, by the corrupt world that's, that's pulled them away from the creator that's made them and has a purpose for them. At the heart of what these false teachers are bringing is denying Jesus as our savior and pulling us back into the world that we're saved from. Can you see how this is the opposite of what Peter shares in uh, chapter 1. This is the opposite of what he shares. So false teaching pull, leads people away from Jesus, uh, leads people into an undesirable character, greed and lust and other things, and leads people to judgment. But in chapter 1, what we read is, is you know, confirming our call. God calls him to himself. And good teaching, prophets, lead people to Christ. And the fruit of that is character, if you remember from last week, the character uh, of those who confirm their calling. Faith, 
knowledge, godliness, sorry, faith, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, affection, love. That's the character that builds when people center themselves on Christ, on the truth. But false teachers lead people away from the truth. And Peter ends this chapter with a final warning and a proverb. It would have been, from verse 21, it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than to have known it and have turned their back on the sacred command that was passed on them. To know the truth, to know that we are saved by the work of Christ, but to then turn away from that, you'd be in a worse position from when you were before you knew that. And that's why Peter shares these quite sobering proverbs. A dog returns to its vomit, or a soul that is washed returns to a walling in the mud. And this is, this is a, a tough passage to grapple with. And before, before we think about what we should do today and how we should be beware of false teaching today. I do want to say, actually I will say it a bit later, anyway. <laughs> I just feel like I want to speak, I want to stop talking about false truth. I want to speak about the truth. That this world is corrupt, it's broken, like there's something wrong. There's something deep down wrong with the world that, you know, we, we keep seeking for pleasure, for fulfillment, but the world is, whatever the world has to offer, doesn't quite get there, doesn't quite uh, fill our desires. And we keep wanting to live good lives, yet we keep making mistake after mistake. We, we have great intentions, but we always fall short of those. And God knows our heart. He knows what we've done. He knows what we think. And that's a scary thought. And yet he loves us. He loves us so much that he sent his own son into the world to save us. To, to, to deal with all that junk in our lives. To deal with all that rebellion, that, that sin, that serious issue that we've denied the God who made us. He dealt with that. He took that punishment on himself so that we could be saved. And in that, he saved us from uh, the corrupt world we find ourselves in and saved us into his own family, into being the very people of God so that no more do we live lives apart from him, but we live lives with God. And as God's family, we live lives that reflect the God that saved us. That is the truth. That is the truth that Peter talks about in 2 Peter 1. And that is the truth that false teachers try to pull us away from. The fact that Christ is sufficient. That, that as God's people, we should live lives that reflect the God who saved us. The truth that what we do and our attitude towards God matters. That sin is serious. That is the truth that uh, in Peter's day, False teachers came in to pull people away from that truth, to, to teach people and to deny that truth, to deny the fact that Jesus was coming again to bring judgment once and for all, for all of the world, and to rescue his people. And we have false teachers today doing the same thing, telling us that it doesn't matter how we live you know, as long as we have good intentions and, you know, and that's okay. It doesn't, we don't really need to trust in Jesus because, you know, did he really rise from the dead? Oh, that's not, probably not true. You know, people don't rise from the dead. People who deny um, that Jesus was God and therefore how could he possibly uh, die for the sins of the world? People who say how we live doesn't matter. And so, how do we respond to it today? How can we beware uh, of, of false teachers today? I've got three things for us to think about. The first thing is to be discerning. Be discerning. Because there are a lot of false teachers out there. And it's helpful to think about for a minute, where are these, where are these different voices coming from? Where is this false teachers coming from? 
You know, where are, what are the different voices that influence us? What are we listening to? You know, do we listen to the culture around us? Do we, do we go along to exciting conferences and, and uh, do we listen to podcasts that are presented with confident, eloquent, ambitious people? What are the songs we sing teaching us? And I think there's, there's a lot of uh, influences on Christianity today, influences from outside the church and influences from inside the church. And I don't want to go into too much detail, but um, influence from outside the church, materialism. In the West, materialism is such a big deal to have things, to, to show things, to look a certain way, to have the um, impression of being prosperous and, and having it all together and, and you know, just having more and more stuff. We see that in the church as well. Uh, Another idea that's creeping in the church is universalism, the idea that everyone's saved, uh, that all religions are true. A lot of Christians start, are starting to believe that. Yet the truth is that it's only through Jesus we are saved. In Mark's talk today that you're going to go later and listen to this morning, he shared, uh, you know, in the past, uh, cult, uh, the church uh, influenced the culture, you know, and certainly uh, 50 years ago, 100 years ago, that was the case. But now what we're seeing more and more is the culture is influencing the church. There's influences and teachings coming from outside the church uh, that, that we listen to and we should be beware of. But we also have voices from inside the church. Uh, we have uh, what's often referred to as liberalism which actually, uh, at its heart, is not inherently bad, right? The, the, one of the forefathers of liberalism is a guy called Schleimacher, and he, he came up with this concept of we, we need to read the Bible with modern eyes. And so at the heart of it, liberalism is effectively, we need to read uh, the Bible, interpret the Scripture with modern eyes. And that's a good thing to do. But push too far is is we will just take this lens and we'll only allow what fits through this lens of, of this modern culture, this modern worldview. We'll only uh, apply what's true based on what that lens says, that how we read the Bible interprets, uh, influences what it says, rather than what it says interprets how we read the Bible. So denying, so, so liberalism to extreme is denying the authority of, what, of the Bible, denying the truth that what the Bible has to say is true and authoritative and speaks, is, very, is God's very word speaking to us. But actually what we think in our perspective has the authority. We have legalism infiltrating the church. The idea that you have to do something or you need to look a certain way or you need to somehow prove your salvation by doing something, by living a certain way, speaking in tongues, or, um, you know, proving your faith in some manner. Denying the sufficiency, the, the, the fact that Jesus is sufficient for our salvation. We need to do that plus something else. Legalism. We have spiritualism. This kind of uh, desire to tr achieve this transcendent experience with God and so we, we want to experience spirit and power and, and like close into that. And then the, it, instead of becoming close to God or close to Jesus, we, we've chased down these experiences in order to, to see God work in us. And that's not true. Jesus is the way to the Father. And I wonder, what is it that these false teachings appeal to? Why is it that um, the church is so um, vulnerable to false teaching? And 2 Timothy 4, the Apostle Paul, uh, he says that the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, true teaching, uh, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions, their own desires. What well, their itching ears want to hear. 
And they'll turn away from listening to the truth and wander off to myths. And so what is it about false teaching that, um, that appeals to us? It appeals to our pride that if I can do this, then I'm right with God or I can, I can do this and I'll be uh, elevated above others or it appeals to our desires, appeals to our lifestyle, appeals to what would make my life easy. So how do we identify or challenge or protect ourselves and others from false teaching? How do we protect ourselves? And the answer is, we need to turn to our guide, which is scripture, the truth. Remember how Peter kind of introduces this chapter. We've got good teaching. We've got good prophets and false prophets and false teachers. I don't know. Has anyone seen uh, the movie Catch Me If You Can? Um, let's see hands. Anyone seen? So a few. Uh, for those who haven't, it's this movie about um, Frank Abagnale, who uh, is a con, art- con artist. And he starts off by pretending to be a pilot, and, um, and he gets away with that for a while. Then he pretends to be a doctor, gets away with that for a while. And then he pretends to be a lawyer, gets away with that for a while. And eventually, uh, he's caught by the FBI, and he's sent to prison for a bit. But after a while, they bring him out of prison, and he starts working for the FBI, uh, identifying counterfeit money. And the way he does that, and the way he's such an expert in identifying fakes is because he studies the truth. The way he identifies fakes is that he studies the truth. And so uh, Peter tells us, pay attention uh, to the words of the prophets. Pay attention to the truth. So as we ground ourselves in, in what the Bible says, we'll be able to identify false teaching, that when, as we grind ourselves and build for ourselves a, a solid foundation in what God's word says, then the alarm bells will start ringing. When we hear something that appeals to our desires, to our pride, to our, our, our um, lifestyle, that is not true. As we study God's word and as we equip ourselves in that way, we'll be able to spot a fake. The second thing uh, we should do, so the first one's be discerning. The second thing is to be confident. Be confident. Uh, remember 2 Peter 1, I keep going back to this. The apostles were eyewitnesses of Jesus. That the truth that we have in Scripture, in, in the Gospels, in the stories about Jesus, in the uh, letters that were written about Jesus, they're true. They're reliable. And so a lot of false teachers trying to draw us away from that and say, that, that's, you know, that's good, but here's something else that's better. No, no, we can be confident in the word that God's given us. We can be confident in the Scripture. Same as we can be confident in the words of the Old Testament and the prophets because it's the very word of God. We have the word of God. We can be confident in the promises of God. And so when false teaching comes, again, the alarm bells can ring. We can be confident in saying, no, that's not true. And the last thing we should do to beware of false teaching is to read history. To read history. I mentioned uh, Irenaeus before. Uh, He's this old dead guy who lived in the second century. Um, he, uh, he came out, he was a church leader, and he uh, spoke into uh, heresies of the time, false teaching uh, in the second century. So very quickly, after Jesus died and rose again, went to heaven, there's all these different false teachings that came up. And what, what uh, Irenaeus was particularly writing against was Gnostic uh, heresy. And what Gnosticism is, um, it comes from the word um, gnosis, which means knowledge. And what the Gnostics believe is they had a secret knowledge that no one else had. And that if you knew this thing, then you would be better than anyone else. And effectively, they denied, um, so no, they didn't deny, they, um, let me read what I said about them. They talked about the separation, the separation of spirit and body. 
Like that, that spirit and body, they're two completely separate things. And the spirit's what's important that we need to know about, and the body's not. And so they, what they did is they lived quite licentiously and actually said, whatever you do with your body doesn't matter. As long as you know what's, what's true about the spirit, what you do with your body doesn't matter. And they denied that Jesus rose from the dead. Because it, like, why, would it, why rise physically? That it doesn't matter. And they, they deny that God created the world because matter, creation, is, is bad. It's evil. It doesn't matter. All, you know, it's only the spiritual stuff that matters. And, and effectively saying that we should pursue spiritual things and what we do on earth doesn't really matter. Now, for those who are discerning, that actually kind of sounds kind of similar uh, to, to, to a lot of theories and discussions in the world today that we should just, just pursue, um, pursue spiritual things. And what we, what we do doesn't really matter. And so guys like uh, Carpocrates or Epiphanes, um, they encouraged sin. They encouraged um, living uh, licentious lives, that what we do in the body doesn't matter. And so Irenaeus wrote... Um, this big book called Against Heresies. Uh, and in it, he included what's called the rule of faith, where he, he put forward uh, doctrine, put forward truth for Christians to recite, for Christians to believe. And that was the litmus test. That was the, uh, the filter to determine is something heresy or not. And that rule of faith was later developed um, at the Council of Nicaea into the Nicene Creed. And what we see throughout history is there's all these false teachings that keep coming up that, you know, Jesus wasn't really God or, uh, you know, don't worry about what we do on earth, just, just pursue things in heaven or, or, you know what, don't worry about heaven, let's, let's only worry about what's living in the here and now and like God's already come and it's already good and don't worry about the future, or teaching that judgment's not coming, there's no such thing as a heaven or hell, it doesn't matter what we do. All throughout history, these false teachings keep coming up, and, and, and uh, Christians throughout history have constantly been battling uh, and, and fighting and arguing against these false teachings and, and keep turning back to Scripture and to the truth of the Bible to ground us. And for... for 1,700 years, 1,800 years, Christians have been reciting creeds like the Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creeds. If you're really keen, the Athanasian Creed. It's like three pages long. I was almost going to do that one tonight, but we're not. Um, to ground ourselves in the truth. Christians have been saying these creeds to ground ourselves in the truth so that when false teaching comes, the alarm bells will ring. And so to finish tonight, I thought what we would do, I actually need one, is we'd read the Nicene Creed together. This is the page uh, that you have on your chair. It's going to be on the screen as well and uh, on the stream. Hey, by the way, um, uh, for anyone watching at home, uh, the words will come up there as well. Before we recite it together, I'm just going to read through it so you know what you're in for. You know, you know what we're going to say because uh, it is quite long. But this is the truth that Christians for, for hundreds of years, or well, 1.7, thousands of years, have been reciting and, and telling each other and grounding ourselves in that we believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, begotten from the Father before all ages, God from God, light from light, true God from true God. Begotten, not made, of the same essence of the Father, through him all things were made. For us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven, he became incarnate by the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary, and he was made human. He was crucified for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried. The third day he rose again according to the scriptures. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again 
with glory to judge the living and the dead. His kingdom will never end. And we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life. He proceeds from the Father and the Son, and with the Father and Son is worshipped and glorified. He spoke through the prophets. We believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. Catholic there means universal. Catholic and apostolic church. Apostolic means authoritative. Uh, We affirm one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look forward to the resurrection of the dead and to life in the world to come. Amen. When we stand together, I'll invite the band up. Uh, we'll, We'll recite this together. And then we'll recite it again by singing the words of um, uh, this I Believe, which a song, Hillsong wrote to uh, capture these words in song. But first, let's read the creed, what Christians have been grounding themselves in for hundreds of years. All together, we believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, begotten from the Father before all ages, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten not made, of the same essence as the Father, through him all things were made, for us and for our salvation. He came down from heaven, He became incarnate by the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary and was made human. He crucified for us on Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried. The third day he rose again according to the scriptures. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to glory to judge the living and the dead. His kingdom will never end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life. He proceeds from the Father and the Son, and with the Father and the Son is worshipped and glorified. He spoke through the prophets. We believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. We affirm one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look forward to the resurrection of the dead and to life in the world to come. Amen. You've been listening to a sermon from Hills Baptist Church. To find out more or to hear other great content, find us at hillsbaptist.com or on your podcast app.